Good morning, Heart of the Canyons. So I'd ask you what's been shaking lately, but I guess that would be inappropriate. But, uh, you know, before I get into our subject this morning, and I think all of you are going to be challenged by what we learned today. I know I've been challenged this week as I've looked at sort of my life and the things in my life, the good things that in my life have be- that have become God things. And that's really what idols are. There are many times good things that become God things. And therefore, they become bad things. You're going to hear that again in a minute. Um, before I do, I, I wanted to mention something. Uh, if you guys didn't know, we did have a little movement around here the last few days. And it didn't really affect us directly here, but it did affect out in Ridgecrest. And those people are going through some real difficult times. We're grateful that uh, they are not having to rebuild as much as clean up. But uh, there's a group called Disaster Relief that uh, we are a part of, whether you know it or not, uh, and they are a part of an international organization that represents, is represented by our denomination, and they go into those areas and they do a lot of relief work. They do a lot of recovery. Uh, they do a lot of different things, and uh, for them to succeed, they use a lot of volunteers, but they're not just volunteers who show up. They're trained volunteers because there are certain laws and things we have to abide by when we do that. And um, so when the earthquake hit there and, and moved here, and it really moved Friday night, it really did. I, 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 uh, it was quite a, quite a moving experience, I will, I'll just say that. Uh, brought back some memories for me. And... Uh, but um, anyway, just so happens that on the 27th of July, the 27th of July, we're going to be hosting uh, a training event for the California Disaster Relief Organization at the Newhall campus. Uh, we are currently hosting uh, two of the vehicles that are used in disaster relief, uh, one of the trucks that is used uh, in disaster relief, and then the, one of the food trailers. Uh, you may not know it, but um, disaster relief through the Southern Baptist Convention, the California Southern Baptist Convention, does most of the feeding and most of the international uh, uh, disaster relief programs. Uh, these trucks, they're, they're these uh, huge disaster trucks that roll on the property in New Orleans when the hurricanes came. Is that me? Do I need to, what do I need to do here? Just not move, right? When they did that, I'll be a ventriloquist, how's that? So, uh, but uh, when that happened, uh, we were involved in feeding over a million people a day. Now you imagine that, a million meals a day. Moms imagine that, 10 a day is enough, right? Uh, but a million a day, and we host one of, those faci- one of those trucks or one of those trailers on our property. It's not the real big one, but it's one of those on our property. And so they asked a few months ago if we'd be willing to host some training on our campus. So on July 27th, we're going to be hosting some training for those of you who'd like to be trained uh, to help in the case of a disaster. Now, there are two areas they're going to be focusing on in that partic- on that particular day. Is one of them is going to be cleanup and uh, debris removal, removal. So if you like, if you're just crazy and you like chainsaws, this is for you. Uh, but... Uh, so cleanup and, and, and disaster are, are uh, removal of debris. And then the second one is uh, foods preparation. They'll teach you how to use and get involved in helping how to learn how to prepare foods that go out through the Red Cross to literally hundreds of thousands of people. And I have a feeling, I don't know this, I have a feeling our trailer is not on our property now. It's probably out of Ridgecrest now serving those people out there. So here's my thought. Um, what would the churches do in Santa Clarita if a, disaster, if a disaster hit our community? Now, I can tell you what happened when the fires came through here and there was a significant amount of disaster back in here. We have a man in our church who works for the county, and he said when they set up a center where people could go and get help, there were three religious groups represented there. There were the Mormons, the Jehovah Witness, and Muslims. Christians were not there. That is unacceptable. Amen? So, there'll be some costs involved to you, minimal, 50, 30 bucks. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But if you'd like to participate in that training, and we need a good number of people who could, men and women alike, um, Mark Hollister, 
has agreed to kind of coordinate that for the 27th of July. That's him standing right over here. He's going to be back there at the information table at the close of the service. If you'd like more information on how you can get involved in that, if you are where you can, it's very possible they may call on you to go uh, to uh, participate. I was trained a few months ago in what they call ash out and mud out. In the case of fire and mud, uh, they trained us to come in and help people uh, sort of pilfer through the debris, particularly in the ash area, to try to recover things of value and to clean it off so they can rebuild. Uh, that saves the average family about $20,000. In a rebuilding process, you have no idea what that means. And then in the mud out area, basically when mudslides or floods come, uh, you go in and help with uh, cleaning out the inside of their homes and removing the debris. And so it is a, it's a very valuable thing, and if there are some of you whose schedules allow you to go uh, to other locations, uh, they may utilize you to do that. But I think it's a good idea. Amen? My dad always says, strike while the iron is hot. Now, some of you are looking at me like, what in the world does that mean? Well, if you didn't grow up on a ranch, you don't know. You know they brand cows? You guys know what branding cattle is? Anybody not know what that is? It's where you get an iron real hot, and then you put the insignia on his rear end is what you do. It doesn't work if it's cold, okay? And so I just want to mention that this morning because I don't know if you didn't feel the earth move under your feet over the last few days, you need to go to a doctor because <laughs> you have no feelings. And so we don't want to deal with that. So anyway, I, I just want to mention that this morning before we get into our subject. Well, we're in our series on the Ten Commandments, and our theme is set free to live free. Uh, two things I know about the commandments, I haven't kept any one of them, and neither have you. Anybody here not guilty of any one of the Ten Commandments? Okay, now we all believe, does everybody believe in the Ten Commandments? Okay, and there are ten of them, and I always tell you, okay, before you tell me you believe them, tell me what they are. Now, they are there. We looked two weeks ago at the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no gods before me. Let me summarize that text. There is no God but God. This is not a, a text that is validating the existence of other gods, true gods. It's saying men have a tendency to create their own gods, but if you create God, it's not really God. You are because you created it. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay. And we dropped down last week because our kids were in the service and talked about honor your father and mother. I really didn't want to do that, um, but we did it because our kids were going to be in here, and I thought it was a good day to talk a little bit about family and the importance of that. We're going to come back to that one again, and we're going to deal with it more on an adult level. I don't know what that means. Uh, we're going to deal with it at a different level. In fact, uh, we're going to have a guest speaker in that day to speak, so you'll make sure you want to be here, Okay. And so uh, as somebody you know and I know very well and somebody who has a high, high view of family. So you're going to be here that Sunday to speak. You've heard what I said about honor your father and mother. You're going to hear what somebody else says about that. So that'll be on the 28th. But um, um, today we're going to look at the second of the commandments. And I want you to remember that when we look at these, we're not looking at them as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We're looking at them this way, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Why? Because the foundational commandment is you shall have no gods other than me. And, and it's important for you to declare and decide who is going to be God in your life. So I don't believe in God. Then atheism is your God because it's a view of God. And that's what runs your life. That's what drives your mentality. And so you're to have no other gods for God. That is foundational to every person in this room. Now, with that said and done, we're going to look this morning at the second commandment that is very important. And I want us to just look at it together, and we're going to read it aloud together. And, and you can read along with me in these next, in the, for just a moment. And we're going to read these together. I want you to think about it. And think about this question while we're reading this. Do you have any graven images in your life right now? Do you have any graven images or idols in your life right now? So let's read it all together. Let's read it aloud together and we just follow along. You ready? Here we go. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Those are some powerful words, aren't they? They really are. Very, very powerful words. Look at it again. You shall not make unto me any graven or carved images or any likeness of anything. You shouldn't worship any image of anything. Doesn't mean you don't have images of those things, but you are not to worship those images as if they are gods, because they're not. Um, really what we're dealing with is the whole issue of idolatry. We gotta deal with this whole issue of idolatry in our life. And so I thought, what is a good definition of idolatry? Let me share with you the definition that I, I have on your outline there. And, uh, and, and I think this is, is a good definition. And basically, it's, it's, it's these words. Any view of God that refuses to believe everything God has revealed himself to be. Now listen to this. Any view of God, any view of God that you attain that refuses to believe everything that he or everything God has revealed himself to be. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When you look at the description of God in the Bible, there are a lot of descriptions of God we like, and there are a lot of descriptions of God we don't like. Amen? For instance, if I say God is a God of love, how many of you like that one? Anybody not like that one? Okay. Uh, God is a God of grace. You like that one? Like that one. God's a God of mercy. Like that one? Like that one. God is a kind God. I like that one. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of justice. You see, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we sort of buy into the idea that we'll take the things about God that we like and we'll ignore the things we don't like, especially in public. Because we like to talk about a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy, but we really, really, really are very cautious about talking about God being a God, um, what does the scripture say here, um, as being a jealous God. And he can be because he is God. You and I can't be because we're not gods. Not in that sense of the term. I mean, we don't like to talk about a God who visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And, and the danger that we deal with in our culture, in our world, is that we sort of take the things or the attributes of God that we like and we allow that to define who God is, but we're real careful. In fact, sometimes we don't want to talk about God and his absolute right to be jealous, to be vengeful, to be a God of wrath, to be a God of justice. But anytime you accept a view of God that is less than all he has revealed himself to be, you fall into the danger of creating a God that you want instead of believing in the God that is. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? There are two dangerous ideas that I hear because I, I talk to a lot of people about God, uh, about spiritual things, and um, I hear these words a lot, and these are dangerous thoughts. People say to me, well, I, I like to think of God as, and then they give me the attributes they believe in. I like to think of God as a loving God. Well, I do too. But I, I know that as a loving God, there are other things I need to believe in. 
And sometimes you like to believe in a God of justice, especially when you were wrong. See, we want justice when it applies to everybody else. We want mercy when it applies to us. Correct? How many of you have ever thought somebody else deserved a ticket? <laughs> okay, I'll just leave that one as it is. So we like to think of a God as, and you might write down there, what are the predominant thoughts of your mind? Here's another one that I hear. I could never believe in a God that, or a God who, does, and they list these things. See, those are very dangerous thought processes, because ultimately then, in those thought processes, we think somehow we're getting to decide who God is, instead of realizing is that God is the one who decided who we would be. And idolatry, as I understand it, is when you and I begin to get our sense of identity from something other than the God who created us. It's called identity idolatry. Because you see, you are who God made you to be, but most of us are not real happy about that. And in the bad part, I understand. But in the personality all those kinds of things, how God shaped you. We talked about your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, your experiences at this church, how God wired you is exactly who God intended for you to be. And the happiest day of your life will be when you're happy with how God made you instead of how you're trying to make yourself or the world is trying to make you. Again, here's this practical definition and not all these things that we worship at idols are bad, but here's sort of the practical definition of idolatry is when good things, good things we turn into God things. Good things we turn into God things that become bad things. For instance, good thing. Your spouse, right? It, Man, I thought I'd get a quick amen to that. <laughs> Your spouse is a good thing. Amen? Yeah. Say it whether you believe it or not. Good thing? Yeah. Amen. All right. God? No. Your children? Good thing? Depends on where they are. <laughs> good thing, right? God thing? No. Um, your home, good thing? God thing? No. And here's what you'll discover. Every time you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it produces bad things. But when you take a good thing and you keep God as God, God uses those things for good in your life. Now, the truth is, when we deal with the whole issue of idolatry in our culture, we really, um, we really struggle because when we think about idolatry, we think about other cultures. Um, when, I, when, I, when I've traveled to other parts of the world, uh, it's amazing how quickly I see their idols. I really do. I see their idols. Uh, for instance, uh, when we went to Uganda, Jimbo, um, there's a lot of idolatry, there's a lot of graven images in Uganda. They practice a form of worship there called animism, which is a belief that they're unsettled spirits. You have uh, spirits who die and go to heaven and spirits who die and don't. And then in between those, there are these unsettled spirits and they're just ticked off because they're unsettled. And so you have to worship these idols, these images they've created to keep them appeased, to keep them happy. So a lot of this in Cuba, it wasn't hard to see because when we would go door to door, because what you do when you go with a group I go on missions with is we go door to door all day long and we walk up on the, into the houses and we walk up to the porches of their houses. It was interesting because the first time I walked up and the first few times I walked up, I saw every porch had a, a sort of a pot plant on it and there were little trinkets that were hanging on this this little pot plant is what it was. It wasn't a pot plant. It was a plant with a... Okay. <laughs> you got to say that differently now. A potted plant. Okay. <laughs> it was... I tell you. <laughs> changes everything, doesn't it? A potted plant. 
And so they had all these things, and I finally asked, what is this, like a little Christmas tree or something? Oh, no, no, that is the spirits that they are trying to appease. And Man, it was weird. I saw things like uh, dried birds hanging from, actually ran into them one time, and it scared the person I was with half to death, because they said, oh, no, you just ran into an evil spirit. I said, no, I ran into a dead bird. <laughs> Yuck. But you know, it was easy for me to see their idols. But I have a hard time seeing mine sometimes. And so we're going to have some fun this morning. Everybody ready to have some fun? We're going to look at some biblical warnings, and then we're going to identify areas of our life where we might have idols. And here's my encouragement to you. Now, I know every week we print these for you, and you lose them before you leave, because we find them in the chair, okay? I want you to take these with you this week, because I want you to look at each of these categories that we're going to look at in the next few moments, and I want you to ask yourself, what are some things in my life related to this particular issue that I have made idols, thinking they're going to bring satisfaction to my life? But let's look at these verses. Biblical warnings against idolatry. I could give you a hundred verses, but I'm just going to give you three, two out of the Old Testament and one out of Acts. Deuteronomy 27, 15 says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. In other words, you need to agree that idolatry is not good. Can we agree with that? Everybody agree? We're all in agreement, okay? So if you have carved things, created things, things created by humans that you've set up in your home and they really are objects of your worship, not a good thing. So I don't have any of those. Yes, you do. You have a flat screen. All right, we'll go on. <laughs> Psalm 97, 6 and 7 says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the people see his glory. Now, where do we see that? We see it in creation. We see the glory of God in creation. We see the glory of God in conscience. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 is very clear that there are two ways that all people see evidence of God. They see evidence of God in creation. The heavens declare the glories of God. We see evidence in the conscience. That's why Romans 1 says, Though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, became futile in their speculations, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory for God of God for corruptible men, for four-footed animals, and for beasts. Therefore, God gave them over. God gave them over. And so we need to be careful. Acts 17, when Paul was dealing with uh, a, a very mysterious group of people in Athens, he comes in and he sees all of these false gods all over the place. Everywhere he looks, he sees all of these gods they worship. And here's what he says in Acts 17. Being then God's offspring, which is what we are, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and the imagination of men. It's not gold or silver, it's not stone. Or an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. So three questions. How do I identify the idols in my life? How are we set free from the idols that captivate us? And number three, how can we live free from these idols? So the word idol is an acrostic that we're going to use this morning. And I'm going to use each letter to identify areas where you might find some idols in your life. I can almost guarantee you, you will. Okay, I just taught over in the servant service. And I think we were all in agreement that we all have idols in our life. And we need to ask God to help us clean these out. And so I'm going to give you some categories this morning. They're going to allow you to do some searching in your own heart to ask, are there things in your life that you've made more valuable to you, in essence, than God? So here they are. The first, the first thing that I want us to see is the word items. Write the word items on your outline. 
items. How many of you have some item in your life? Everybody has an item, right? Anybody not have anything? Did you get here this morning? Did you walk here this morning? You have an item. It's called an automobile. You have, you say, I walked. You have legs. <laughs> you got items. Everybody's got items. Everybody in the world has an item. Every one of us has these items. The problem is we, uh, we tend to put more value on items than we should at times. These may be items that I bought or items that I worked hard and, and attained. They may be items that I was given. They may be items that I inherited. They could be any number of things. They may be something I made or something else made. For instance, ladies, how many of you have a box in the attic of things that your children made when they were in the first grade that you cannot get rid of. Okay. Now, they're not bad things. They're good things, but they're not God things, right? Say, say good but not God. Everybody say it. Now, the items of our life, if we're not careful, can be become more important to us than God himself. In fact, what happens is they begin to define who we are. It is what we call a religion of consumerism. It's the idea that items somehow are going to bring satisfaction into my life. It's the idea that somehow getting a bigger house or a better car or a different this or a different that is somehow going to make me better than I am. In fact, it's, it's something that defines who I am. I remember years ago, I was invited to visit a family who had been visiting our church. They said, well, we want you to come. Come to our house and visit with us, and we just want you to come. I thought, great, I'd love to come. I mean, people in California don't invite you in their homes very many times. Well, I got there, and I noticed there were a whole lot of cars there. It wasn't just me. And it was a, one of these, uh, one of these uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call the, the sales things, where they, the pyramid sales deal. And they brought me in, and I'm sitting here with a, with a bunch of people in the room. They didn't want to visit with me. They were trying to get me to sell the product that they had. And, and I'll never forget, they started out with this question. How many of you would feel better about yourself if you could drive a nicer car? Everybody in the room went up, hand but me, and I'm just sitting there. <laughs> How many of you would like to have a nicer car or go on better vacations or do this or do that? And everybody's raising their hand, and I'm just sitting there. Finally, the guy said to me, Jim, you wouldn't like all of those things? I said, I don't need all those things. I said, because, I, you know, I don't mean I don't enjoy my automobile, but my item, automobile is a, it is a means of transportation. It is not a point of identity for me. I ruined the whole night. <laughs> and I, did, I wasn't even asked to sign up. And they didn't come back to our church. See, sometimes we get our sense of identity from this God of consumerism. How do we know we struggle with the religion of consumerism? Here's some questions. Questions for you to ask yourself. Do I care what people think of what I own? Are you okay with giving your stuff away? What do you feel if somebody steals it? Do you worry about it? See, we all struggle with this. This is something that all of us struggle with. I could give you a lot more questions, but I'm going to stop there. But the truth is, for many of us, our items, if we're not careful, become things that we obsess and we, we give our life to. You know what I, I'm convinced of? Many of you guys in this room are spending a lot more time polishing your car than you do reading your Bible. We could talk about those kind of things. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not here to just beat you up today. I just want you to think about what things have become in your life. Well, there's got to be some antidote to this. Where it is, it's found in Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about the different things that we worry about. Why are you anxious about this? And, 
You know, look at the lilies of the field. They don't work and toil and spin, yet God takes care of them. And consider the birds of the air. And, 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 and so he goes to this whole deal, and he said, all these things the Gentiles diligently seek after. But then he says these words to us. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, when good things are not God things, God doesn't mind us having those things. But when good things become God things, they begin to replace God in our life. For many of us, if we're honest, our sense of identity is wrapped up. Our sense of value is defined by the items that we own. And the truth is, we don't really own anything. It's just ours temporarily. It's just ours temporarily. Uh, Cory Ten Boone says, when God gives you something, hold it like this. So if God decides to take it away, he doesn't have to pry your fingers off of it. So aren't you glad you came today? Items. Number two, duties. I know that means something different in some cultures, but... I got in trouble. We, we were laughing about this when we were pairing. I tell me my culture duties means responsibilities, so get over it. Uh, for a lot of people, your sense of identity is wrapped up in what you do and how well you do, of it, do it. For many of us, we worship a religion of responsibilities. Um, I, I like this quote. It, it, Lenny actually gave it to us. Is Our duties can rightly be the, a way we worship God or wrongly be a God we worship. Listen to that. A duty, a responsibility can, be, can rightly be a way we worship God or wrongly be a God we worship. Now, how do you know if you struggle with a religion of responsibilities? Here's how we struggle. We get our identity from how well we perform in our roles and responsibility. In other words, our sense of identity comes from how well we perform our responsibility. Now, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. That's not what I'm talking about. If God is God in your life, you need to be responsible with whatever he's entrusted to you. And you need to do the best you can with whatever it is that God's given to you. But your responsibility is not your identity. You see, the remedy is simply this. You find your identity, your full identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Here's how I know you're valuable. I know you're valuable because one day Jesus spread out his arms and he said, I died for you. I died for you. Galatians chapter 5 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Isn't that good news? For freedom God, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think here he may have been referring back to the Israelites who had been set free from God from the bondage of Egypt. They'd been able to let go of all that stuff, but instead they found themselves recrafting an idol that they thought would represent God for them. And maybe, maybe Paul had some of this in his mind when he wrote to them, for freedom Christ has set us free. I mean, that's better than Moses. Amen? For, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, again, this is not to say that you and I should not be responsible and with our responsibilities, but there's a world of difference between difference from me getting my identity from my duties and wanting to glorify God in the way I perform my responsibilities. Whatever you do, you ought to do with all your heart. Whatever your hands find to do, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. God's given you a responsibility do it the best you can, but you do it for his glory, not for your identity. The O. Here's a, here's a tough one. This is uh, the word others. Boy, you guys are quiet this morning. Others. Anybody have any others, gods in your life? Uh, for thus, this would be sort of the religion of impression. 
uh, impression. We change who we are so we can impress others, ourselves, or our tribe. Now, let me explain by that. In other words, uh, we, we look at other people and we want their approval. We want their value in our life. You know, I, I've taught in this church for years. One, one of the most dangerous things that I know of is that when we get our identity from significant others or other people in our life, our value does not, my value is not defined by your opinion of me. Now, we can do that if we want to, but when that begins to happen, we will spend the rest of our life trying to impress the people around us, and we either try to impress so we uh, can get the approval of others, or we can even try to find our own sense of self-validation or self-approval, or we want the approval of our tribe. And this is huge in our world. Let me, let me kind of explain, because I think out of this grows some things. Um, the religion of impression is the primary cause of some very extreme behaviors in our culture. Behaviors like uh, indebtedness. Uh, dietary or exercise obsessions. That's mine. <laughs> I'm trying to enlarge the temple. No, I'm... <laughs> Again, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't live to be healthy. I think we should. But there's some people, they're just impressed with what they see in the mirror. Dietary obsessions or obsessions with exercise. I don't really have that one. I told somebody the other day, I, my doctor asked me, are you walking now? And I said, well, I thought about it the other day, and I laid down and got over it. And uh, <laughs> here's one. You ready for this? Identity politics. That's a tribe. I'm a this or I'm a that. Religion. I mean, within Christianity, we have identity politics. Well, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a charismatic. I'm a this. I'm a that. And one of the most harmful, harmful is what I would call racial prejudice. How do you know you do that? You struggle with peer pressure or people pleasing? Do you become inflated by praise? In other words, when people praise you, do you feel better about yourself? When people criticize you, are you deflated? Do you change who you are to be accepted by whoever is around you? Here's the answer. It's actually found in um, Matthew 10. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but let me get through it and you'll see. Jesus said these words, Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell pretty strong statement, isn't it? Well, Jesus is saying, don't fear men who can kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. Instead, fear him who can both destroy your body and your soul. And then he goes on to say this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And for some of you guys, that's not a big deal. I'm not looking. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I think what he's saying in this passage, the passage here is not to just fear God. is that you, when you put God in the right place, you don't need to fear God because he cares about you more than he wants to hurt you. And you see, if we find our value in Christ and in Christ alone, it's amazing the difference that would make in our life. But often, if we are honest, we spend our lives trying to gain the approval, the conditional approval of other people instead of resting in the unconditional love and acceptance of God who came in the world and took you, our judgment on himself. 
so that we could have life. L, this is the word longings, a religion of feelings. We don't have any of that in our culture, do we? We're kind of a feeling-driven society, aren't we? In fact, it it just amazes to me. It's actually what Paul was warning about in in, in 2 Timothy, uh, uh, in in chapters 3 and 4. He talks about this contrast between feelings and facts and things of that nature. And he he goes on, you don't have it on your outline, let me read it to you. He, He says to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom... He says, preach the word. Just stay true to the word. Stay true to God's word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. In other words, let the word of God do what it needs to do. You just preach the word. Where it needs to reprove truth, let it reprove truth. Where it needs to rebuke behavior, let it rebuke behavior. Where it needs to exhort people, let it exhort. Let the word do what it does. And then he says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, feelings, feelings. As for you, Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Powerful, powerful, powerful passage. Which you can read the chapter before it. He talks about all the things that people in their feelings want. But they're only dead ends that take us into slavery. Here's the question. Is your faith controlled by your highs and your lows? Is your faith controlled by your highs and by your lows? Do you feel good about your faith when you're doing well? Do you feel bad about your faith when you're doing bad? Or have you learned to live in Christ? How do we know we struggle with a religion of feelings? On our good days, we feel good. On our bad days, we feel bad. We justify sexual sin. We use shortcuts to true intimacy. And there are a lot of shortcuts that people take to try to get to intimacy. By the way, the only way to real intimacy is through the adversity, not out of the adversity. We find ourselves caught in addictive behaviors. A lot of people in this world are finding themselves caught in addictive behaviors because they chose to live by their feelings instead of living by the truth of God's word. The remedy is finding resolution from your sin in Christ's forgiveness and the proper motivation for living right in him. People will use your sin to condemn you and they'll use sin to prop you up. They'll use their sin to prop themselves up. In John 8, Jesus has an encounter with a woman. Some people don't like this passage. They don't think it's there, but I just want you to see it this morning. A woman was brought to Jesus and said, look, this woman was caught in adultery. That's where she was caught. And according to the law of Moses, we ought to put her to death. What do you think, Jesus? Jesus got down and he drew in the sand. We don't know what he drew. I, I tend to think he was drawing arrows at the people who had slept with her. I don't know. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a stirring moment because Jesus was at a, at a very important point. And finally, he looks up to these people and says, those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And I love what Jesus said. He stood up and said to her, woman, why are they here? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Now, I want you to notice there are two sides of this. Two sides of this. He says, look, woman, no one condemns you. But he didn't stop there. That's where we stop in our culture. You can't condemn anyone. Look, there's no one here to condemn you now. But then he goes on to say, don't find your identity in your sin. Because your sin is not your identity. What you were and even what you are is not what God says is true about you. It's so important that we learn not to get our identity from our longings or our feelings. 
Let me give you the last one, and that's sufferings. Let's be honest for a moment. Every person in this room has had pain and hurt in their life. And, and, and I believe pain has a real positive role, can play a real significant role in shaping who you are. In fact, we talk about that in our, in our shape material, spiritual gifts, abilities, your heart, S-H-A, your abilities, your personality, and then your experiences. We talk about your education. We talk about your painful experience and how God can use those to shape how he uses you. But please hear me. If your pain becomes your identity, you will never live in the victory that God expects you to live in. And this is where we live in a religion of hurts. Do your hurts or have your hurts become the defining factor of your life? How do we know we struggle with a religion of hurts? We struggle with anger. We struggle with forgiveness. We struggle with resentment. We tend to filter everything, everything that comes to us, we filter through the wall that we created called hurts. And sometimes we can't even hear good things that people say because we hear the bad things somebody else says, has said, instead of the good thing that God is trying to speak into our life. It's one of the greatest limitations of relationship with God that exists in our world. And here's the remedy. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Listen to these words. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That's where my identity comes from. The fact that he died for me, and in him, I died to myself. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Listen to it again. Have you ever been afflicted? Well, let me tell you something. When God is God in your life, you may be afflicted, but you will not be crushed. You may be perplexed at times, but you won't be driven to despair. You may be persecuted, but you will never be forsaken. You may be struck down, but not destroyed. And you'll always carry in you the body of the death of Jesus. In other words, the death of Christ becomes the primary source of me understanding my value. So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. So what are the idols in your life? Are there items, are there duties, are there others, are there longings, sufferings? You see, when our identity comes from Christ and Christ alone, we don't need idols, and here's the deal. Because of Christ, we're set free from those things defining who we are. So we can live free, knowing this, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who now lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the only begotten Son of God who died and gave himself for me. So what are your idols? And what do you need to lay down? And what do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus today? so that you can be set free to live free. Father, thank you for your word. God, this is a, a hard subject because it's, for me, it's been a, a tough week as I've had to look at the things in my life from which I've got my identity. And God, I, I, I just pray this morning 
that your Holy Spirit has had the freedom to uh, help us look at our lives. A lot, most of the things we have in our life could be good things. If there are sins in our life that we need to get rid of, those probably are produced because of the idols we've created. But God, many of the things that we have in our life are good things. They're just not good gods. Remind us this week that we make the things that you have made to be good gods. Those things do not produce good in our life. So God, help us today to simply honor you. God, I pray that you will be blessed by our time of commitment here today. We love you this morning. Thank you that there's no God but you. And thank you that we don't have to find our identity in anything in this world or anyone in this world. We find our identity in Christ, in Christ alone. So Jesus, thank you. God, if there's anybody here today who's never accepted Jesus, maybe in the quietness of their heart right now, they've realized they've built a house of cards. They've built their house on items, or duties, or others, or longings, or even suffering. And God, today, they'd like to find their identity in you. I pray they would simply come and confess the sin that's in their life to you. And God, you've told us that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, I pray this morning that there are people who need to do serious business with you today. Business that means they, they turn from themselves and turn completely to you. I pray the quietness of their heart, they would just accept Jesus and his free gift of eternal life. Believe in his life, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And believe that today he can enter their life and give them a new sense of identity. We love you today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy.